We look around, but we do not see. We hear all these sounds, but fail to listen. We talk the talk so eloquently, but when the time comes to walk the walk, we just turn a blind eye. We have become an audience like those who sit around soccer fields with nice comfy seats and plenty of food and drinks to last for the game. We have become an audience who just sits on the sidelines. We're the audience to the cries of those who cry for justice, wondering if justice was ever just because now, now it's just them and their Lord. Salam alaikum, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Rogue Muslim. This week, I am finally actually talking with another human being, and which, by the way, is great for quarantine. <laughs> it's really nice. Um, and this is not a 26 spiritual habits episode. So I'm really, really excited um, to talk with Shariza Boudou. Um, and we are going to be talking about her storybook, her short storybook called Talal and the Whispering Warrior. So thank you so much for coming on, Shariza. My pleasure. It's 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 uh it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Thank you. Me too. And actually, so this is before I ask you to introduce yourself and uh introduce this book, there is a question that I didn't put in the question um that I sent you, but it's one that I ask my guests all the time. It's a surprise question, so I do this with everyone. Um but if this was your last day okay. on earth, what would your final meal be? <laughs> if this was my last meal yeah 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 if you could plan out your last meal okay <laughs> okay what would you have i'll think about it okay it's a tough question it, yeah it is it is honestly i had one person just answer water which i couldn't relate but i respected it oh wow <laughs> yeah Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to think about it and I'll ask... Keep it simple, you know? Simple. Basic. I know, right? Right? <laughs> like, I don't want to taint my soul. I was like, oh, you are really deep. <laughs> Not on that level. <laughs> but it was cool, yeah. Do you want to answer right now or should we return back to it once you've had a chance to think about it a bit? Okay, um, I think my... Fr- I think like one of my most basic favorite things ever since I was a child was it's it's been like crinkle cut French fries <laughs> with like ketchup drizzled on it. Now this is the big debate: should it be ketchup? Should ketchup be dipped, mm-hmm. or should it be drizzled on top? Mm-hmm. I definitely it's have an really, opinion. <laughs> I like the, I like the suspense and excitement. How much ketchup is gonna end up on this crinkle cut fry right now? <laughs> You know? Honestly, I've never heard that interpretation <laughs> of this debate. <laughs> but I can respect that, too. Are you a dipper or are you a drizzler? I'm... Okay, first of all, I don't always like ketchup with my fries. That's probably the first controversial oh. thing. I also am a person that thoroughly enjoys pineapple on pizza. So having strange taste buds is, you know, kind of normal at this point. Um... But well, I'm I'm on I'm on your team. I'm team you are. Apple, salty. Oh my god, it's amazing! I remember seeing one meme 
or tweet. I can't remember what it was, but it was like pineapple and non-pineapple people have to put aside their differences. We've got a common enemy now. And it was strawberry on pizza. Like, oh my god! I know, Are you I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was not. Impre- I was I like, what? Yeah, and like it's it's just and people are like, but how can you like say that's weird when you eat pineapple? I'm like, it's a completely different fruit, like completely different. You cannot compare that, and that just it just it's doesn't go. It's completely different flavor. Profile. Yeah, it's like way different. So yeah, I was like, you know. We now have a different common enemy. But yeah, other than not liking ketchup all the time, I'm a dipper. I'm not a drizzler. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I do like your... You need to be able to regulate the ketchup. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And like sometimes I like to have the option. I'm like sometimes I don't want the fry with the ketchup and sometimes I do because it can get overwhelming. And yeah, it's... Yeah, but I actually really like it. You like to be able to mix it up. You like to have command over the ketchup. Exactly. Exactly. I can't, can't control too many things in life, so might as well control that <laughs> intake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I do like... Um, I, I, see, I, see, I see the argument for dipping. Do you? Yeah. I yeah. see the argument for dipping. Yeah. I will say, though, where I will drizzle is... Um, we. So my background is Koja, so we have Indian and East African and like cultural influence. And so um, we have a lot of coconut-based curries so uh, we have this coconut chicken curry that we eat and on top of that like have rice then the curry and then i'll drizzle ketchup over that that i really like oh yeah that's a weird one but <laughs> so like i actually really enjoy meeting of the east and the west or? yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah because it's definitely a western influence that one nice yeah yeah but anyways thank you very much for indulging me in that question <laughs> um now swiftly moving on to something completely different um would you like to introduce yourself because you have got quite the bio you're a pretty sweet person thank you um so my name is Shariza I am from the Toronto area I live about maybe like 40 minutes outside of uh, the Toronto area in the suburbs. Very multicultural town and, and people who see the book, they'll see that's very much reflected in the book. Um, very multicultural city. Um, in terms of like my background, I have a, a degree in psychology and master's um, in with a focus on individuals, families and groups. And um, I currently work as a clinical counselor. Um, I have a business on the side where I offer telephone counseling um, called GTA Wellness Consultation. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents and- are from Guyana, South America, and uh, my ancestors are from India, and um, I'm Muslim. So right. I wanted to, you know, incorporate kind of um, my, my, my therapeutic background into the format of a story where I could teach children the skills um, that, you know, a lot of parents bring their children into counseling for. Um, But I also wanted to incorporate an Islamic element for the Muslim children. I think that the conversation about mental health is starting to open up a little bit more. Um, And so I wanted to be able to bring that into the Muslim community. Um, so yeah, I, I put together this book called Talal and the Whispering Warrior. Technically, it's my my second book. My first mm-hmm. book was kind of like a little um, a little booklet that I've put together 
um, that's based on khutbahs and classes and lectures that I've been to that incorporate a little bit of mental health with um, issues around like spirituality. So focus on prayer or being repentant or controlling temper, incorporating Quran and Hadith. Um, but at this time, the book that I'm, I'm really working on um, kind of getting out there into the community is Talal and the Whispering Warrior. Yeah, and, and it's, sorry, go for it. Go ahead. No, no, go for it, go for it. I was just going to say, yes, it's a story about um, a little boy who experiences a really intense anxiety in school. He's, he's about, say, grade one. And um, he he's at school and the teacher's asking everybody around the, in the class to talk about something that they're grateful for. And, you know, I think we can all relate to this whenever, like, we're in a meeting or we're in class and everybody's going around. You're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, what if someone takes my answer? <laughs> right. 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 Coming from the mind of a child. Yeah. So he starts to become more and more anxious and it, it starts to experience a lot of these common um um, symptoms that we experience when we start to have anxiety or even a little bit of panic. Um, so he goes home and he, he tells his, like, this is very scary to him. Right. And he's like, I must be sick. And whatever that was, I don't want to have to return to it. So he goes home and he tells his family he's sick. His dad takes, takes his temperature and sees that he's just fine. Right. So he's like, yeah, you're fine. Go, go do your schoolwork. Right. <laughs> Come down at dinner time. Um, so then his sister sees that he's not like doing 100, right? So she talks to him and, and she finds out more. She creates a safe space for him to share what was going on and she can relate to it as someone a little bit older. She's experienced anxiety before and she starts to give him some tips. Um, and so this, a lot of the tips given are based on, you know, evidence-based practices that, I, I support clients with, mm -hmm. um, based on cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy and mindfulness practices while incorporating Islam. Yeah. And it's, it's honest to God. First of all, I just want to say thank you a thousand times for writing this and creating this book. Honest to God. Like, I was reading this and um, you were kind enough to send a copy and I was reading it. And um, obviously, you know, we had our conversation before and you just pointed out like so many hidden gems of this. But even if people aren't necessarily kind of um, really noticing that at the fore, the storyline is just incredible. The way you've... Um, allowed people to understand how to bring up conversation you know what kind of responses are um ones that invite yeah conversations to open up and then at the end you also give out notes and tips to parents and caregivers and kind of allowing us to understand what um what our roles are how we can you know practice um what we preach right I think that's sometimes the biggest thing that's really difficult we kind of can understand it on an intellectual level but we're aware of our own unaware of our own biases or unaware of our own practices that may give mixed signals and stuff so I think I yeah I first of all just really want to thank you honest to god for um yeah coming up with this it's really amazing um and then how did you, um, you know, what prompted you to write this book? So it is a book that kind of um, shares a child's experience of 
nervousness um, and then anxiety. Um, so how did you come up with writing this or, you know, was there a particular thing that prompted it? Something you're witnessing amongst your clients or, yeah. Um, you know, I think I've always, I've always appreciated the fact that we, we are bringing the conversation to adults mm -hmm. when it comes to mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think we still have to work on as a society, bringing the conversation to children. I think it is beginning to open up or just not as ahead as we are with adults. Right. So that was the first thing. And I wanted to bring it to the main, like develop something for the mainstream. But then that is exists. And there's always been this conversation about the fact that individuals from certain cultures aren't as open about the conversation um, of mental health, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those cultures, they're coming from uh, communities that Muslims are from, right? Right. So I wanted to I wanted to bring that conversation to that community and fill, fill a gap that maybe was there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there are books out there, and I wanted to bring something from my expertise and and, and tie in things and strat like strategies and tools that I use when I'm working with children. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's what prompted me to write this story is really wanting to fill a, fill a bit of a gap that was there. Mm -hmm. And also to, to, have, to have, you know, a character that looks like Talal. Yeah. yeah. Indian boy, a darker yeah. skin um, Indian boy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, he's Guyanese. Like, like I said, I come from a Guyanese right. background, so right. I wanted to represent that. Right. Um, but yeah, it was really more about wanting to fill a gap. And I think that um, my generation, um, we are also experiencing anxiety. We are also experiencing low mood at times. And we lacked the education in how to cope with these things, right? Mm -hmm. A lot mm -hmm. of times our parents come from generations where they, they just had to survive. Like a lot of our parents come from generations and and histories that experienced a lot of their own trauma, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's war, if it's, you know, our parents are refugees, or if it was poverty, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They had to survive whether they liked it or not. Now we're a little bit more comfortable, yeah. but we um, don't necessarily have that, that, that need for survival. And when I say survival, I'm talking about life or death kind of thing, right? Right. So right. I think that we... we we um, need to learn some skills in order to cope, right? We have the space to to do that. Yeah. Um, and we have the knowledge now. Yeah. And so I, it was important to me to include the tips at the back where, where parents are able to also get an understanding of, you know, the, the symptoms of anxiety, how to bring up the conversation about it, um, how to role model mm -hmm. managing anxiety in, in, in low mood, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to also um, empower parents with knowledge, whereas they might not have had that, right? Not yeah. everybody can afford um, going to a counselor or not everybody can wait on the wait list sometimes where it takes six months or a year to get in with a yep. with a specialist to help yeah. their child or to empower them with knowledge and yeah. skills, right? Yeah. Some, some parents don't have the time. They're so busy. So all of that is provided in this book. Right, exactly. And it's, and it's also... Um, you know, even though the st the tips um, and the notes that you've given are kind of geared towards checking in with your child, these are just fantastic tips for anyone, right? Like it's it's just a powerful reminder that we also need to be checking in with our own selves and um, whether you're not you're or not you're a parent or a caregiver, um, even just you know if you have like 
you may have nieces and nephews and just loved ones, um, or you're a teacher, right? And you want to support your children in, in the way they're experiencing classroom dynamics and stuff. This is just an important reminder in the ways we can, first of all, check in with ourselves and building up that kind of toolkit and that practice and that mindfulness uh, brings an increased awareness to kind of what we are trying to um, look out for in, in, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever that, however children kind of play a role in your life, I guess. Um, so yeah, definitely important ones. And why did you, um, how did you come up with the storyline? And also I kind of just put this together but it is a boy <laughs> I mean I knew it was a boy yeah. but as opposed to kind of it being a girl was that a conscious decision as well yeah so I was doing some research um around children's literature and the research seems to show that um boys and girls can both relate to a, uh, a male main character yeah. whereas um boys will relate less to a female character in a right book. Right. statistically right? right so for that reason i chose a male okay yeah that makes yeah. sense i i for some like my mind kind of just went to that we don't talk about men's mental health as much or mm -hmm. um give enough validation or credence to it so i thought that maybe um it was a way of showing that even from childhood you should be checking in with boys young boys so yeah, that you that's, can that's a good point um, that's a good um, yeah. yeah strength in having Talal as a main character yeah yeah um it's kind of just the way I took that yeah so um yeah coming up with the storyline and you know just calling it the whispering warrior and and something you mentioned when we were talking last was that you know I, I and I didn't like pay any um special attention to the fact that you know there is a panda on the front cover and and that's kind of the um the uh how would you call it the um like friend right that he kind of tries to embrace and stuff and um how you know yeah why why the whispering warrior why that kind of title and that label and then why also that incorporation of the panda yeah so good question the whispering warrior because i think negative thoughts are kind of like that hey eh? mm -hmm. like they 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 constantly kind of nag at us but it, and they're kind of like in our mind so that made me think of the idea that it's whispering right right and often these anxious provoke these anxiety provoking thoughts are obviously very worrisome mm -hmm. so meaning that they're they're worry based right mm -hmm. so anxiety anxiety is a fear response right there's something that you're you fear some kind of worry something that's kind of edging at you something that's happened in the past often is something that's happening in the future mm -hmm. in Talal's story it's, it's often about you know what people will say about him um, how people will judge him whether he's good enough so it's it's usually future based right right um so for that reason it's a whispering worry often because it's inside of our head and it's kind of like nagging at us but mm -hmm. um it's, it's kind of whispering to us so the reason for the panda was because therapeutically when we especially with children mm -hmm. they need something more tangible to help them understand therapeutic concepts so if I were to talk to a child about you know your anxiety being these thoughts that are perhaps informed by um unhelpful core beliefs about yourself like that's going to go over their head right yeah 
um, it's too abstract for yeah, them. Yeah. So I wanted to offer something concrete that they can feel empowered to have command over. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also based on narrative therapy. There's a ther- there's a therapeutic approach called um, narrative therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and narrative therapy is about the way that we frame things. And part of narrative therapy is that we externalize the problem rather than feeling like we're the problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, you try to externalize your anxiety and perhaps seeing it as some kind of monster or a bully or something like that. Mm -hmm. So in this case, his anxiety is kind of like in the form of like this frantic, silly little um, panda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 up to him to soothe that panda. Right. Right. And I think that's also empowering to a little child to feel like he is able to have leadership over something or she is able to have leadership over something. Yeah. Um, And that empowers them to kind of, okay, I got to compose myself because I need to, I need to like calm this thing down. Mm -hmm. And I also made him a silly panda rather than a scared panda because mm-hmm. I don't want that to feel threatening or intimidating or too overwhelming to a child. Mm-hmm. I want it to be more silly, something that it feels like it can, like a child feels like that they can befriend, right? right. And that they can um, they can support and kind of calm down and it's not scary and it's not threatening. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, and I think it's, like you say, that we're also through this you're also showing that they can take kind of that leadership role or um care for something or kind of um yeah channel their emotions in a different way and i think sometimes do you find that we underestimate children's capacity um and what kind of um skill level or i'm i'm i don't know kind of the wording behind it but i i don't know sometimes i think that i underestimate how children can behave or how they observe the world, even though, you know, we've all been children ourselves. Sometimes we kind of forget that inner child of us or lose that kind of um, understanding. And, and and that makes sense, right? We're kind of also journeying in this world and we're hit with different obstacles and things. But I, what I appreciated about this was it kind of took me back and I was like, you know what? Like, I haven't thought about it necessarily in this way, but Talal can totally do this. Like, yeah, he's totally got this. And and it's just a very empowering narrative. Like you said, having uh, the panda is a more empowering approach and having one that's more um, of a friendly, goofy one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that, um, I think we are a bit hesitant to put children in a leadership role. Mm-hmm. One, because maybe we question their abilities, but mm-hmm. we also fear their... <clears throat> the fact that they might fail. So it's, it's interesting. It's almost like our own anxieties feed into that a little right. bit, right? We don't want their self-esteem to be impacted rather than seeing it as something like teaching them that, you know, it's an opportunity, a learning opportunity. And sometimes right. setting the baseline for kids that, you know, you may not do well the first few times, yeah. but um, you can, you can with practice. And, and that's something that I think that I've reinforced in this story too, right? That with right. practice change will come. 
Yeah. So yeah, I think that um, we, there there are probably are more opportunities to encourage leadership in children, even if it's little things like overseeing the cleanliness of one part of the room or something like that, or particular yeah. toys, or like choosing the meal, you know, a couple times of the month or something like that, right? Right, right. Or like prepping prepping a little bit of the meal, helping to prep certain foods or get them out. Like mm-hmm. there are small opportunities to help build a leadership skills mm-hmm. in children, which in turn lead to confidence right which Mm -hmm. is only going to build their self-esteem right right and as they age you can like expand on what you you give them charge over exactly and it's also interesting like when they are interacting with other children or on the playground or whatever they almost naturally end up having their own kind of leadership rules or um not necessarily the the individual child themselves but there are rules of leadership in the playground right mm-hmm. um and so yeah. they already kind of are aware of this or they they are at least working with those dynamics and so i think this is such an incredible way of teaching them healthy leadership skills and what it means to embody good leadership roles right and and right. yeah having that kind of ideally in the safety of the home and in this in this case there is also an islamic perspective in this book right so having that those conversations also with that islamic dynamic looking at what leaders look like in our faith and and um allowing them to foster it grad foster those skills gradually is also really helpful i think right for sure yeah yeah um so is this something, is children's anxiety experiences of nervousness? And actually, just before I just ask that question, um, what is, first of all, the difference between nervousness and anxiety? Um, yeah, I'll just ask that, actually, before I go to my other question. So uh, nerves, nervousness is something common that we, we experience, and it's often uh, situational. Mm-hmm. Um, anxiety becomes something that's a little bit more clinical and it can be something that's kind of ongoing right yeah, yeah. um in across a lot like a broader amount of situations right yeah. um and it becomes almost to the point where it's a little bit debilitating right meaning that it affects our ability to function mm-hmm. to some degree mm-hmm. so with talal for example we could see at the beginning of the book mm-hmm. that experience that he had mm-hmm. was debil- debilitating to the extent that he didn't even want to go back to school the right. next day, right? Right. And there's one part of the book where he's begging his sister. He's like, please, please understand. Yeah. Like, do not send me to school. Please yeah. get what I'm saying. Like, this is not possible for me to go back to school, right? Yeah. So um, anxiety is more when it gets to that that extent. Right. And um, uh, Sorry. Yeah, and in, in after you reach a certain age in the DSM, mm-hmm. which is the uh, a diagnostic book mm-hmm. um, for to for diagnosis when it comes to mental mental illness, mm-hmm. um, anxiety is one of um, the illnesses that are are documented in that book, right? Right. Um, versus nervousness is something that is is a little bit more episodic. Right. And what, um, cause obviously what well, I'm saying, obviously, um, I assume basically that there are kind of micro, um, ways that nervousness can build up to become anxiety. Um, and so 
what kind of different micro uh, forms should we be looking out for? And at what point do we become concerned about the level of nervousness as it, you know, as it therefore then becomes a debil- debilitating form of anxiety? Or I think anxiety. what individuals want to pay attention to is what are, what are our thoughts saying to us mm-hmm. about our abilities and our capabilities and about the safety of the world around us. Mm-hmm. When those types of thoughts become so ingrained that, again, it becomes difficult for you to complete tasks or to go places, then once you start to notice that building up, certain messages often coming up with your your child, Mm -hmm. that's when you want to start maybe empowering them with some some coping strategies, right, that are talked about in this book. So some of them, for example, are... Um, the things that we say to ourselves are those words are those are those uh thoughts are they empowering yeah what is your whispering worry or whispering to you right are they encouraging thoughts are they reassuring thoughts no of course not it's the whispering warrior right yeah um so let's let's be attentive to what it's saying and what do we whisper back mm-hmm. when, it, when when we start to hear things like that mm-hmm. right yeah and um I think, I don't know, I was just thinking that how healing of a process and this book can be for parents as well um, or individuals as well. Because like you're saying that if you're forced to self-reflect as well, I feel, um, mm. as a parent or a caregiver, you have to then for say, okay, how am, you know, what are my actions? What are the consequences of my actions? And now you're forced to go a level deeper, deeper and say, what are the consequences of the things that I am saying to myself? What is my narrative? And is it a healthy narrative? And how is that then going to impact my child? And this is all really difficult and sometimes painful work, right? Um, but I think for the sake of having healthier relationships um, and, and, embodying healthy kind of relationship practices um and self-love practices i think it's necessary right um i think that very much this book is a book where it's not only the child who's going to be learning strategies from mm -hmm. it but it does encourage parents to look at their own coping strategies and they gain coping strategies because the things that um the the messages that i kind of try to get across in this book Mm -hmm. are the same strategies that I'll teach parent like adults. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the only difference is the way it's being delivered in a children's format with a children's with a child's story about a whispering panda, right? Yeah, yeah. For us, it's often um, our own again, our own fears and our own worries about the the future, yeah. right? And yeah. our abilities, our capabilities, the our, our relationship, and yeah. we have to kind of check our thoughts. Are our thoughts realistic? Right. Am right. I just catastrophizing? Right. Right. I have to look for exceptions. I have to look for my strengths. Mm-hmm. Those are the stories we don't tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And Talal mm-hmm. is telling himself a story too, right? That yeah. he's not capable of returning to school and then he's not capable of coping. Right, right. And I think we, um, I think sometimes our nervousness has become so normalized, even if it hasn't reached the level of debilitating anxiousness or anxiety, we do sometimes live with the normalized patterns of nervousness. And so being able to kind of check in, you know, we're able to check back with our habits, like you're saying, and say, okay, like, you know, oh, am I avoiding this because of this? And, oh, I didn't realize it stemmed from this, or I didn't realize that this was having an impact in such and such a way, et cetera. So yeah, just all around a very important book. Yeah, I've received feedback from a few parents that, 
you know, reading this book has caused them to kind of question um, their own coping strategies and mm. what their their um, what their role modeling to their child right. what? and their own. Yeah. You know, say if they come home and they're stressed out from work or right. they're having a conflict with their spouse. Right. If if the place is a huge mess and they feel too overwhelmed, right? Right. right. There can be a lot of anxious responses to that. And mm-hmm. so parents are telling me, yeah, like I'm I'm be I'm I've become a lot more aware of how I'm coping and what I'm role modeling right. to my child. And just going off of that, if this book, you know, if somebody has not necessarily done that self reflection yet or had a chance and or opportunity and kind of a guide guideline on how to do that and they then start doing that through this book um I can imagine that as a parent that may bring up um feelings of nervousness of oh my god what have I done did I do this right have like you know I you know just really questioning your parenting strategies and there's as I understand it, there's a lot of pressure um, amongst the parenting community and a lot of judgment. Um, so how can how can then they how can they have an empowered approach to and and a forgiving approach? Um, yeah, you know, to kind of resetting or 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 unlearning and relearning. Right. So I think first of all, um, the nervousness and some of the anxiety or maybe the low feelings might come from the sense of, oh my God, like I'm messing up. Mm-hmm. What am I passing on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you want to switch the narrative in your mind to something like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to grow alongside my child and for me to role model personal self-development, right? right. That I have to be active in my approach to... Right to change some of my habits, right? Yeah. To change some of the ways that I've, I've been raising my child. Right. So, um, I think that it's healthy for in, in some cases for parents to kind of name a little bit about, you know, where they've gone wrong. Yeah. Um, and how they would like to develop themselves and show their child that they're making an effort. Right. You know, and to be forgiving towards yourself because, if we're harsh with ourselves, we're living in the past, right? And if, if we kind of feel a down on ourselves, and we're not able to be okay with moving forward and forgiving ourselves, we're not going to be able to move forward because we're always looking backwards, right? Exactly. Yeah. So and it's important to um, forgive yourself in order to move forward. Yeah. And yeah. to, um, to, you know, to role model that to your child too, that, yeah. okay, like, yeah, you, you messed up. We are, we are quite forgiving towards your children. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, the young ones around us. Yeah. So we also have to be forgiving to ourselves. It's yeah. okay to go wrong, but we have to um, we have to resolve to move forward. Right. We can't stay stuck in those those self critical feelings. Right. And and to kind of you know, there is a faith based perspective to this book as well. And you know the the way we kind of um, characterize Allah is that he is the ultimate parent, right? And he loves us more than our parent a parent of ours could ever, a parent or guardian caretaker could ever, right? And so, you know, we ask for forgiveness from him and we trust that he's forgiven us and he says, I am the all merciful and all forgiving, right? And so if the ultimate parent, you know, embodies those characteristics and 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 um, and we can trust that, we can trust ourselves that we can forgive ourselves and that 
you know, just like there's opportunities to connect even higher with God, there's opportunities to connect even higher with ourselves and with our um, loved ones and our children in this case, right? I think. Right. Yeah. There's always opportunities to move forward, right? I mean, if you look at Ramadan, if you look at Hajj, right, there's Mm -hmm. always opportunities to clear your slate and move Mm -hmm. forward. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, that's the mercy of Allah. So, yeah. um, you know, we depend on Allah for his mercy and yeah. obviously his guidance. And and there's lots of strategies taught by the prophet for, you know, managing your anger or kind of moving forward and coping, right, mm-hmm. that, that we can use. I mean, the prophet, you know, at times he struggled. He made his dua and, and you know, he received the guidance from Allah. There are verses where in the Quran where, you know, Allah is comforting the prophet. Yeah. yeah. Shows that he's feeling distressed. So... I mean, we all go through our periods, right? Yeah. And um, you look at the stories of the prophets, you know, what they went through, um, you know, being alienated from your your parents, from your, your siblings wanting to, like, get rid of you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, kill you, right? Yeah. Like, they, they all go through other struggles. We have a, we have a right. lot of, like, alhamdulillah, we have a lot of, you know, positive role models of, of coping and, and dealing with, like, adversity. Yeah. Um, in, in, in our religion right so yeah alhamdulillah, yeah alhamdulillah um and kind of just last question on the difference between anxiousness and nervous and uh nervousness you know we uh, in also taking an empowering approach to this we also want to empower ourselves that you know these feelings are also valid and they are normal and so being that they are normal, why are they also important? These feelings of nervousness and and you know we when we're um, talking about managing anxiety, reducing anxiety, and feelings of anxiousness, we also don't want to completely eliminate that that feeling of nervousness. Can you just talk a little bit about why that's also important? Yeah. So sometimes you know when I'm I'm working with individuals in my private practice or or teaching workshops around mental health and anxiety. We talk about almost like this bell curve mm-hmm. um, where our anxiety rising to a certain extent, it becomes too much. Right. Yeah. And what and there's a certain area of it, though, that's like you said, a little bit. It's normal. It's healthy. So within that healthy range, it's it's good for us because it can be a little bit of a motivator. Right. right. When we get angry about something, when we get anxious about something when we feel sad about something, it indicates to us that, hey, we felt passionately about this this mm-hmm. issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's completely normal for us to have these emotions. Mm-hmm. Our body's responding a certain way for a reason, right? Yeah. Because we care about these issues. Yeah. Um, so it can be, a, in, in the case of anxiety, it can be a motivator. So, you know, so, psychologists will talk about, like, testing anxiety and that around tests we a little bit of anxiety is good because it motivates us to study a little bit harder a little bit longer to use a lot of different strategies so it can be good when it's a motivator but speaking of that curve when it starts to rise um and it starts to get out of hand where you actually are not able to study right you have to cancel the exam or you're not able to attend the presentation you call in sick yeah then it becomes a little bit it something that you need a little bit of support around yeah to learn some strategies on how to manage yeah um, but it, it can be a good thing right um when it's it's within a certain range right right exactly yeah. and um why is it that 
than some people and some children do experience anxiety and others don't like where you know how does that work yeah where does that come from it can come from uh, a few different places. Mm-hmm. Um, one place that it can come from is, again, if they come from homes with that are kind of a very anxiety-provoking environment, mm-hmm. or if their parents also struggle with anxiety, mm-hmm. children will learn to view the world in a certain way. Right. That maybe there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure and expectation. Perhaps if there's a lot of pressure on parents to perform in a certain way yeah. and there's consequences when they don't perform well yeah that creates a lot of fear and anxiety right yeah like before i even attempt to do something i'm already worried about failing right right so it's also that 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 self-defeating mentality and it yeah. becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy right? right right um so there's that sometimes it can come from not like natural life experiences maybe you know children are being bullied right Maybe they're being intimidated at school. Maybe they did have one like really um, disappointing experience at school where they put up their their hand and they answered a question and everybody laughed at you know uh, your you know your daughter or your son and then they feel silly when they go to school now right and they're yeah. worried about the next time this is gonna happen and they kind of get stuck in this mindset oh I better not speak I better not say the wrong thing I better not draw attention to myself okay you know what it's really it's just really too anxiety provoking to even go to school I don't want to go to school right exactly right? which is the case yeah. for Talal then um yeah yeah and is this actually something that we are increasingly seeing in children because you know as there are those natural kind of environments that you say that may or you know uh, experiences that may produce anxiety or those and the home ones but as well you know the world <laughs> um i think children sorry children are increasingly exposed to um uh, an influx of information and as parents it can be really difficult to filter how they're receiving this information or what information they're receiving or to be able to always be on top of having conversations in the right way so um you know is this something that we are increasingly seeing or and i know you know statistics can also be impacted by the fact that only now we're discussing uh children's mental health increasingly especially amongst uh kind of immigrant communities and things but um yeah i don't i'm just curious to know um, yeah, I was going to say that's one of the things it's hard to tell whether, you know, it's it's increasing because of the environment that we're in or if it's just because people are coming forward more than before, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like this COVID thing, like is right. it that there's a sudden surge in like the spread of this right. or is it just because we're doing more testing? Like, should I be worried that overnight all of a sudden there's a thousand? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, but it's probably a bit of both, but exactly. um, yeah. I think when it comes to the the um, the question of like if it's occurring more in children, yeah, um, it's hard to tell. But one thing that I do notice is that I feel like in our families we have a lot less support around us, right? I think that the previous generations um, and maybe even the families we grew up in, we had a lot more like family interactions from aunts and uncles and cousins um more than the generations now you know what I mean right um and I I, my friend gave me my friend she's um from Bangladesh and she gave me you know kind of this story where her mom her mom said that you know when she was giving birth to my friend Mm -hmm. and she gave birth 
like after she gave birth she was able to go into the room and like rest because her aunts and her mom was there to be able to take care of the baby right but that doesn't happen today as much right exactly we don't have like a whole community of women around us that want to help and support yeah so sometimes i wonder if it's the same thing for children where maybe we don't have so many social buffers Mm -hmm. to kind of help soothe us and help us to cope and get through things Mm -hmm. as before because social interaction can some it can buffer mental health too right Mm -hmm. and there's an absence of that so I had one child who also came in for therapy once and he um, was having some behavioral issues he was fighting a lot with his brother he wasn't performing well at school and so when I did an individual session with him without anybody else in the room um he said the one thing that he would really like to do differently is he'd just like to hang out with his friends more often right and so I gave that feedback to the parents and they had more play time for him mm-hmm. and like his behaviors changed significantly mm-hmm. like I don't think that they had much many follow-up sessions after that so sometimes social interaction could be a huge buffer for mental health and I wonder if the absence of that is is kind of contributing to to a lot more anxiety. Right, right. Or, or you know, lack of mental wellness. Right. Hmm. That would be very interesting to know in the future yeah. if that is something. Yeah. Um, I know for me, and, you know, now in terms of fostering more adult relationships and looking at, uh, you know, really being intentional in the way that I want to maintain my relationships with my friends and things, but... For me, um, friendship is really important just in the way of sometimes I I can express in a way that I can't with my family, right? Friends are your chosen family, um, the good ones. And so, um, yeah, so I find that I can express myself in ways that I don't necessarily, I'm not used to expressing with my family or we just have different relationship dynamics or whatever. And um and so, yeah, I, I, that would, I'd be really curious to know, yeah, if that does impact um, children. I mean, I know for me, it for sure impacts my mental health, being able to have uh, my friends and being able to express in really vulnerable ways with them. Yeah. Not that that's so intentional with I, children, but... Um, I think for, for us, this, the, the buffer for mental health when it comes to social support is being able to have people who can verbalize and provide support and provide like feedback on shared experiences that, yeah, I'm going through the same thing or I'm going through something similar. This is how I'm dealing with it. This is the perspective that I'm taking. I think with children, it might be more like if it's their peers, it's opportunities for people to kind of build you up, play sports and play activities together that make them feel good. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. then imagine what life might be like for them in the absence of things like yeah. that. Yeah. Right. To, to receive some kind of positive feedback or do something that kind of builds them up and teaches them, hey, like, yeah, I wasn't good at that thing at school, but it doesn't mean overall that I don't have any skills or that I'm no good to anybody, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it gives opportunity for also, you know, adults to, to kind of give kids a pat on the back or, you know, um, some positive feedback and encouragement mm-hmm. indirectly, right? That, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you're struggling with this, but you'll be okay. You could do it. Yeah. You're able to do it. Just kind of yeah. like the simple ways that, that adults give feedback to kids, right? Yeah. And sometimes hearing something from our parents, as we know, is not the same from hearing as hearing it from like an aunt or an uncle or a cousin. Yeah, it hits so, different. 
It hits different. Yeah. yeah, with parents, sometimes you're like, you have to say that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, yeah. Um, I think that we have a little, that's, that's, that's a, I think that's a change, right? Right. And in our, in our kind of our family dynamics that that was. Right. Right. And, and what's also interesting about that is the trickle down effect that can have or the domino effect that can have, because if you're embodying that to your child, they, they're then on the playground or whatever social situation they're in can subconsciously embody that for another child who may not, be hearing what he these more empowered approaches right or or having his um confidence boosted or or held and stuff right um or his nervousness held and stuff so you're kind of again embodying what it looks like to to support people whether the child like you know is very conscious about that or um or can put words to it they they naturally i've i've seen you know are like you said like oh no you've got this or no you can do this or how can i help or um yeah what can i do to support or maybe we can try this or um yeah just so many different ways that they can also empower those around them again and going back to that leadership role that you've kind of highlighted in this book as well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's amazing um so how so we kind of talked about um the diversity of experiences that children may go through but how can we now commit ourselves to you know doing these kind of practices and and how can we open up the conversation with our kids and um and and you know or 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 yeah children we're taking care of or uh, students and stuff like that how can we open up the conversation um about anxiety and like, yeah um, yeah like emotion management exactly yeah well i think that's 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 an important thing right mm-hmm. in this book i realized when i was writing this book that simply telling a story mm-hmm. as kind of like this nice little bedtime story okay and then you go to bed is not gonna help anybody right right i think opening up the conversation is important and that's why this book is kind of like, even if I didn't have to include the questions for the parents, I as a therapist could use this book mm-hmm. um, to open up the conversation with children. So I think having this book mm-hmm. um, is an opportunity for you to ask your child, like, how can you relate to this experience? Yeah. These yeah. are some of the things that the whispering warrior was saying to Talal. What yeah. does your whispering warrior say to you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What are some of the things that you can whisper back? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as an example. Yeah. And I, so, Sorry. Yeah, I think that having something that the child can relate to Mm -hmm. um, and then being able to use that as a conversation piece Mm -hmm. is is important Mm -hmm. because kids need something to kind of open up and kind of normalize it. Right. And that's what the story does. Yeah. Like Kalal in this book, he doesn't only have anxiety like around speaking in class. You'll see in some of the images like it's about swimming it's mm-hmm. about um doing presentations mm-hmm. it's about sharing his stories with people it could be in different situations that a person can feel a little bit anxious right 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 so i think that it makes this story makes it relatable for people to open up and, yeah. and kind of use it as an instrument yeah. a lot of the questions that i give at the back of the book are questions even i as a therapist would ask a child Right. Who's meeting with me and that I'm doing like say play therapy with, yeah, right? Yeah. Um Yeah. So I think this is this is a great tool. Mm-hmm. I think using examples is a great way to to um 
have a conversation about it conversation pieces the whether it's this book or it's a movie or it's a tv show or Mm -hmm. you know what i mean even Mm -hmm. like sometimes they have scenarios in like tv shows Mm -hmm. that maybe your children are watching where you can say okay this is what happened here how do you how do you think you would have responded have you ever been in a situation like that yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and i really i also really appreciate how um talal's sister she you know he went to go check in on her and she was praying and then he's in his room and Talal's sister then goes and, jo- goes and joins him and says, little bro, you look upset. Why is your face full of gloom? And I really appreciate that because um, it's it's more specific that just saying, hey, how are you? Because <laughs> I feel like if somebody's experiencing the, the increased uh, anxiety or feelings of anxiousness or even just not even gotten to that point but just nervousness it can be a little bit overwhelming like well how am I well I'm feeling this and this and this and this but this is this what they really want and uh, you know what do I say and if I say that like you know some some children are so empathetic empathetic and yeah they're more like they're they're really just susceptible to also um you know seeing like checking the room out right and checking out that person and the vibe and what they're off that what they're presenting as well that it can be a bit overwhelming um and so I really appreciated that she asked she was like hey I notice you I, I like I I love you so much and and just in that statement right it's like I love you I notice you I see you're not your normal self or or something's mm-hmm. upset you you know, please let me know what that is. And and then, yeah, he opens up and says, um, you know, uh, talking about his sickness and kind of just what happened on in the classroom and stuff. And, and yeah, I really appreciated that. And then she kind of, it's not just like, she's like, oh, no, it'll get better soon or don't worry about it or kind of, she doesn't, right? She yeah. doesn't, like, invalidate it. Yeah. She doesn't just... Like, oh, just just uh, try harder or try again or no, I'm sure that's not what they're thinking and stuff. It's like, you know, those are more of those disempowering approaches. So I really appreciate that she goes, um, you know, what you what you're dealing with is a whispering warrior and you can try telling yourself this or and it, that will fend it away. Or um, you can recite this verse of the Quran or, you know, say, uh, and and you'll start to feel better. So she's she's not only listening. First of all, she's kind of doing a body check, a, a kind of a check of how he is seeing that something's off. Then she's listening and then she's coming through with some support or some tips as well. Like sometimes you do, somebody just wants you to listen to them, but you know, she's also offering that support and, and some of the more practical methods of, of how he can start to, you know, work with this and, 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 um, yeah. Yeah. I think there's two things that you mentioned there, right. Mm -hmm. Which was the, the way that she approaches him, but also the strategies that she offers. Right. Mm -hmm. So, when she comes into the room, she notices the way his body is looking. Mm-hmm. So his parents are kind of listening to the, and parents and caregivers are listening to this podcast, right? Yeah. You're, you're noticing your child and you're labeling their appearance, right? right. That is good for them. It's a learning opportunity for them mm-hmm. because you're verbalizing to them. Okay. Notice, notice your facial expression. You're teaching them to notice their own body cues. Yeah. Like therapeutically, we call them, body cues right yeah your facial expression what does your posture look like 
when we notice this in ourselves, these are cues to us that, hey, something is wrong. I need to pay attention. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, she does that for him. Yeah. Right. And you you can't deny what you can see in the mirror. Right. Yeah. Like it's happening. Yeah. Um, and I'm labeling it as as it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So something is happening and I'm noticing it. Um, and it increases a child's emotional intelligence to be able to also notice that in the future, right? When your mm -hmm. body's doing this, how do we deal with it? When it comes to the coping strategies that she mentions, and I, I acknowledge in this book that sometimes you use a coping strategy, strategy and it doesn't work, right? Right. Sometimes you try something and it doesn't work. Right. Um, you have to add on something else or maybe you need to use it a little bit longer. Right. So this book notices that. She mm -hmm. offers one strategy. Mm -hmm. And when that doesn't work, she says, and when that doesn't work, right. then I do this. Right. Right? Right. And I think it's important for us to like, I'm in this book, I'm being very realistic about the experience of anxiety or how our thoughts impact us in our, our human experience. Yeah. It doesn't change overnight. And I teach that I teach children that in this book. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it doesn't always, it doesn't, sometimes one strategy doesn't work and you need to pair it with something else, mm -hmm. right? You need to stick to it. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of work. And I try and normalize that in this book to make it um, realistic for, for children mm -hmm. and for parents. Yeah. Because we didn't necessarily have these learnings growing up. Yeah. And I think it's an important life skill that's not formally taught in school and it's not formally taught from parents. Right. 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 And it's important. It's important that we teach it to children. So that's something that they'll have ingrained in them growing up. Yeah. And it's what so you know, when they become adults like us, that they're able to cope better when they start to feel uh, start, start to experience difficult life uh situations like relationships or tests mm -hmm. or, or going for job interviews all of this requires coping right? yeah yeah coping. yeah and i think and that's exactly what the father does as well or says sorry he says just keep practicing right day by day these mm -hmm. will help this gets easier to do so it's 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 saying that yeah it does take a little bit of effort and practice and commitment but and every day mm -hmm. um there's opportunity for it to get better. Also, another thing I really loved is that his sister not only just said that to him, but she embodied it later when she was playing uh, baseball, I think, right? She was playing baseball and she started yeah. to have some doubtful thoughts and she took a very empowered approach. And, and just the fact that when Talal went and asked his parents, like, well, have, this is what I'm feeling, but have you ever experienced nervousness? And they're like, yeah, we of course we experience it. We go through yeah. it. So also just being super open and not just like, and you know, this is something I've always appreciated with my family and especially my dad. He's always been um, very open to sharing his experiences. And so from personal experience, I can say that it's it's helped me open up and and know that he'll hear me, right? Even if he won't fully understand the experience, he'll hear me. And I think that's what I really liked about this. It's like the parents heard him and they also had something to say about their own experiences. And they were like, oh my God, yeah, totally normal. So again, normalizing that, the, the feeling as well and, and saying that you got this again, even just through that statement alone. And also um, his sister you'll see in the book when he's telling his story, mm -hmm. she doesn't just listen to the few, first few words and jump in with problem solves. She, she asks him to share more. Okay. Expand on that. Okay. Mm. Expand on that, which shows a willingness to listen. Right. And again, that's another lesson for, for parents who are reading this book that, you know, um, 
when children are sharing, you don't jump into problem solving. You listen more, you encourage them to share, you create a safe space, right? Before you start to to jump in with strategies or you start to minimize and say no no no, it's fine you can do it what are you talking about yeah you're so yeah. capable you do this at home why should it be hard at school yeah right yeah um with the with the sister or having difficulty with baseball feeling a little bit anxious mm-hmm. in that situation it just goes to show that again we have different people have different anxieties in different situations right 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 and they and present those, differently too those, sorry Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say they present differently as well. Like with Talal, he was fearing, feeling very jittery and, and a very physical response as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think with his sister, she she felt like crying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. But a little bit more internal. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I totally cut you off there. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Yeah, yeah. it's just that um, different people, you know, have experienced their anxiety in different ways. And, and um, yet, no, in spite of that... There are concrete, very fundamental, basic therapeutic strategies that we that are pretty universal when mm-hmm. it comes to managing the anxiety. So whether you're 14, say like the sister, or you're you're at a younger age like Talal, or if you're the parent, mm-hmm. we're all we're all sending the same message that you need to be attentive to your thoughts and you need to be you need, need to use some soothing strategies like Quran recitation, right? And there right. are lots of empowering and reassuring verses in the Quran for us to recite and to remember in times of difficulty. And this book talks about, you know, what kind of thoughts you should be saying to yourself. What are some verses you can recite? How do you practice that? Yeah. How do parents like role model and kind of walk alongside their child? Yeah. Yeah. As they, they work through this. Right. And, and just for, um, listeners, there are, um, examples on kind of the last page, last, second last page on some of the verses that you can help support your child memorize and for you to memorize as well so you've just you've done a very thorough job (laughs) um you've also included that um so like we kind of touched upon there are those different physical responses and like you said everyone experiences it in varied ways um if we're trying to do a body check with us or we're trying to um empower children to do their own body checks um what sort of feelings should we be looking for that would indicate nervousness or um anxiety i think the common experiences for for children experiencing anxiety is their heart starting to beat fast okay right so the heart racing i think sometimes um there's the butterflies in the tummy Mm -hmm. right that nervousness feeling or feeling nauseousness or feeling like they have a pit in the stomach. Right. That's often how it will begin. When I work with uh, clients and I work with children, um, I have them kind of graph out how their anxiety escalates. And what happens is with the anxiety escalating, um, more and more symptoms kind of add on, right? It becomes right. one after the other. Right. But often it takes a certain course, right? Like the hand shaking won't start before the heart beating. Mm. right so it's um the common experiences to look out for is the the heart beating it could be the butterflies in the stomach um they might start to feel a little bit jittery like talal did their palms might start to sweat a little bit right right um you might if if it becomes really intense you might notice some tension in the body right right like 
for adults, they might feel tension around the neck or the shoulders or in their thighs or in their arms. They might mm-hmm. clench their teeth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the common yeah. experiences, like physical experiences of anxiety. Right. And so when you're doing those physical checks and you're, and you're noticing these things, are there certain tactics that are helpful to manage it just in the moment um, so that it kind yes. of doesn't increase? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's um, some of the therapeutic work that I do with clients is when we do that graph, mm-hmm. I kind of call those first few symptoms red flags. Mm-hmm. These are red flags that we need to start to like step in with some coping strategies to, as we say, flatten the curve, right? right. To like keep that curve low, yeah. right? For it to dissipate a lot sooner before it increases. So strategies um, that individuals like children can use are mentioned in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them can include soothing, soothing behaviors. Mm-hmm. So whereas fear um, is going to escalate your physiology, right? you want to do something, of course, that soothes you. So it could be touching something physically mm-hmm. that feels nice to the touch, right? So it could be for a child that maybe they have like a little keychain, a little something on top of their like pencil. Mm-hmm. You know, like kids put on those little things on top of the pencil, like a pencil topper. Oh yeah. yeah. Maybe something that yeah. yeah, something that feels nice to the touch. Maybe they have a little keychain. Um parents can kind of like talk to the teacher so that the teacher's on board, you know, if my child pulls this out, like please understand it's for this and that reason, right? Yeah. Um so doing something soothing like that, again, being aware of the thoughts and the things that you're saying to yourself, because it's often the thoughts that's the first trigger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of whispering back to those thoughts, yeah. something that might be empowering. And parents can kind of talk through with their children what that might be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you and like you state in the book is like the more you practice that, right? And the more you, um, it just becomes a little bit more ingrained. It's easier to, to manage it and then sorry i'm just getting a thing um yeah it's just easier to manage yeah it it comes with practice right like sometimes when we have anxiety that anxiety reaction becomes the really strong muscle right 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 and it, it it becomes like the dominant tendency but in order to feel more reassured and feel more confident we have to build up that muscle mm-hmm. that muscle has to become the confident one and of course we know with lifting weights right mm-hmm. before you get to that 10 pound you got to work that five pound and that eight pound really really good right <laughs> right so it is only going to come with um it is only going to come with practice, practice that yeah. you you're going to be able to build that that muscle yeah. and first it comes with awareness Mm -hmm. that okay yeah I am happy this is happening this is an anxiety reaction this is based on that thought Mm -hmm. and then starting to challenge it have like a phrase that you go to some people talk about this idea of a mantra right Mm -hmm. have like a phrase that you go to that you have to constantly convince yourself of because you have convinced yourself of something fearful or something worrisome right right so just the same use that same mental strength to be able to empower yourself and yeah. strengthen yourself with another another maybe reassuring um phrase right right, right. yeah it, it's an active process mm-hmm. and it does take practice yeah. it's like strengthening the muscle yeah yeah muscle. yeah and and that's the thing is like it's active but hopefully you have a great support system around you also to remind you or to encourage you or um to to help you and support you along the way as well i think that's that's something i've learned is that 
you can never underestimate the power of a great support system around you. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll find just like Talal did in this book that a lot of people have the common experience, right? Mm. It might be different for different people. The trigger might be different mm-hmm. for different people. For some people, it might be their in-laws. Right. <laughs> for some people, right. it might be their parents. Right. For some people, it might be parenting. Yeah. Um, but anxiety can be quite, it's a, it's quite a common experience. Right, right. Self-doubt, right? Right. And as common, yeah. sorry, we all have self-doubt, yeah. 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 Um, and as common as, or as we can all have, common experiences there's also as i understand kind of different types of anxieties that kids can experience right um so how can we tell which which one it is and also if you can just kind of give us a quick synopsis on what those different types are so anxiety um is is a physiological and mental reaction right Mm. it can happen across different settings for some children it may be academic performance Mm -hmm. for some children it'll be social right Mm -hmm. um so it's more just about it might be even about depending on the age of the child it might be about their appearance the way they dress right right um it could be performance skills um like if it's sports or something like that Mm -hmm. so um it could be in different different aspects of their life yeah and i think that's and i guess you'll, you'll know right you'll know based on how how they're reacting to certain situations if they're if they're feeling comfortable going back into school if they're feeling comfortable around tests i mean sometimes you don't know if kids are avoiding school because of academics or social and i think that's a good time to check in with the teacher mm-hmm. and just communicate openly um, with the teacher about, you know, what's happening, some of the child's hesitations and ask the teacher to kind of like partner with you and keeping an eye on them, um, and getting their insights. Is it, do you think it's around testing? When do you notice a change in, you know, his or her mood? Is it around like tests and schoolwork or do you notice like it's more like around recess and when they're having to interact with other children, what are they like? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think again that, and it can kind of loop back to also, practicing active listening as well um to hear exactly where your child is expressing that anxiety um and what arena to better support right yeah um yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah well yeah it's just not going what you're saying for sure like it definitely if your child is open to sharing then it could be as simple of course as mm-hmm. asking yeah yeah but sometimes depending on the child's age they may not be able to verbalize in those cases it's it's good to be able to connect with the teacher because right. the teacher's spending a lot of time with the child too right 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 yeah and um so something like you sorry no it's just gonna say yeah observe their body language yeah if it's not happening at school observe their body language at home notice you know their facial expression in certain settings and that'll kind of help you to zero in on where the anxiety is coming from and what it's related to exactly yeah. notice when the change was right yeah yeah and in their, in their temperament throughout yeah. the day and kind of help that helps you to pinpoint what it might be related to right and even just like learning about the different types of anxieties or different ways our body operates or the different responses we can have that in itself is very empowering um learning is very empowering and, and can offer us a lot of support um to kind of yeah seek out what's there I guess. right yeah. yeah um so one of the things that I'd wanted to ask and um, you helped me really kind of understand this as well is um, like 
oftentimes, not oftentimes, sorry, but there are times where parents are also experiencing anxiety, right? Um, so how can parents who are experiencing anxiety support their children who are also experiencing it? Yeah, I think that it's it's an opportunity for parents to to educate themselves, right? Mm. Like they have to do the work themselves yeah. in order to role model. Role modeling is so important. So yeah. whether parents need to kind of do a little bit, there's so many resources available online yeah, um, and on YouTube to be able to understand how anxiety works and um, to be able to research that. And also there are counselors out there, right? Some yeah. counselors, they work on sliding scales, um, and who are accessible by telephone. Yeah. So even for myself, I work on a sliding scale. I try to my best to work with people's budgets. And yeah. um, sometimes people's workplaces have insurance where parents are able to, you know, get some coaching, help them to understand why anxiety happens, how it happens, how it appears in my body. Some of the things that I'm telling myself, sometimes even where my personal anxieties come from, like is this rooted in childhood? Was it rooted in a particular experience? Mm-hmm. That can be very empowering for individuals. So for parents to do that individual work mm-hmm. so that they can then go back to their children and they can, like you said, kind of manage themselves, how mm-hmm. they're appearing in front of their children, mm-hmm. can role model coping differently. Right. And they can walk themselves, walk, walk their children, you know, through managing experience sorry managing their anxiety too mm-hmm. because they can be kind of like an example yeah that look i've been i was struggling with it with it with it too yeah and i felt a lot of the the things in my body that you feel too and here's how i was able to f- overcome it yeah right yeah yeah show, show your children that it's an active process like it's something that you you've got to work on and here are some ways to do it and we can do this together this can kind of be like our thing yeah yeah and like you said that um and what his sister did was she she shared different um coping strategies and the parent could say you know I tried this this didn't work but maybe it would work for you or we can work on this together or um yeah, even just the parents of Talal opening up and saying, yeah, we've experienced nervousness before as well. So like you're saying, having that open communication um, and and working on yourself, communicating first with yourself and then with your child and and having um, seeing it as an opportunity to to exemplify healthy um, coping mechanisms and behavior. And, and yeah, like you said, taking it day by day and showing that yeah, it's an act of commitment to to your health. yeah i mean it's not a sign of weakness to to struggle with something Mm -hmm, like this mm -hmm. it's reframe it as an opportunity for learning and self-development right yeah that it teaches the child that we don't have to put on the facade that we're we're good with everything and we we're capable at everything right yeah as parents and even how we view our parents we 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 kind of view them as supermen and superwomen right (laughs) yeah um but it's okay for 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 children to know that, hey, struggle is part of the normal human experience, Mm -hmm. but it's not just that we struggle, it's that we take an active role to be able to manage it. So parents reaching out for support and saying, yeah, I met with somebody who taught me some strategies and I I can meet with you too. Like we could spend time like five minutes every night, like practicing some um, soothing strategies or ways to calm our body down. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I learned too. You can learn too. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked for me. It just takes yeah. practice. And yeah. in one of the couple of pages of my book, um, it, ta- it, te- it teaches children that Talal tried something on the first day, helped a little bit. You know, right. it's not a story about 
he went to school the next day and yeah, it really worked. You right, know? right. And then he came back the next day, it was a little bit better. And then three weeks later and four weeks later, you know, yeah. and so it's something that's going to take, take practice for both the parent and the child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of the last question around this, but one of the things I really appreciated it and you pointed out, um, some other ones that I hadn't even fully kind of processed, um, but was the very, there's a rich diversity of representation here, whether that's race, ability, culture, gender role, spiritual um, experiences and the spiritual uh, spectrum. So was that, first of all, a conscious decision, which I already know the answer, but um, was it a conscious decision? And how can, uh, you know, these representations also be opportunities to bring up different kind of uh, conversations with your child or children yeah so there's there's a few different representations that I paid attention to in this book mm-hmm. I come from um, the Toronto area which very grateful to be living in such a city mm-hmm. where we have so many different people from so many different backgrounds cultural backgrounds um, ethnic backgrounds I wanted to make sure that, that was represented in my book mm-hmm. Talal is the main character but he doesn't represent everybody of course mm-hmm. and I hope that a lot of people will see in this book that you know they can find look at the classroom they can look at the teacher and they can see themselves represented in this book mm-hmm. um, so that it doesn't feel like okay well he doesn't really look like me I don't know if I can relate for children it can be like that right, right. but I hope that everybody can feel like they can see themselves in this book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to represent my life experience in a way too, right? Mm-hmm. What I grew up with and I what I grew up around. Yeah. Um, the teacher is a First Nations teacher. Right. Yeah. I don't think Definitely. that in the media we often see individuals of First Nations um, in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I wanted that to be an opportunity for, for children to see that we can't stereotype and we can't see individuals in kind of one narrative mm-hmm. that, you know, anybody from any background can be in, in a leadership role. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to make an opportunity for, I know that parents have, have children who read this storybook over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I hope that, you know, every time they read it, that there's something new that they can notice. And this can be an opportunity for, you know, parents to talk about First Nation communities Mm -hmm. and a little bit about their history. Right. I also have um, the sister in this story. She's not, she's Mm non-hijabi. She doesn't wear hijab, but um, she's also someone who who clearly prays five times a day and turns to Allah in times of need and does her own dhikr, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it also gives a different representation of, of the Muslim community um, and showing that there we can't make assumptions about someone's faith mm-hmm. based on how they dress. Right. And right. that everybody has something that they can share and we all have a common experience. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think also children could experience anxieties around race, ability, culture, gender, spirituality. Um, and I think this book also provides tools on how you can, um a you've normalized these things but also how you can approach those anxieties with the similar uh tools that uh, and mechanisms that you we've already discussed um one thing i did want to ask um was how do 
parents, because um, I, I think it's easier to have these conversations when you can relate to your child more. Um, so, for example, race or culture, uh, spirituality, all those um, other representations outlined. But sometimes ability can be a little bit um, of a different one or a difficult one for parents. So parents who have children who are experiencing different abilities, um, for example, their child might uh, be on the autism spectrum, right? So how do you have any tips on how they can also um, check in with their children who are, yeah, experiencing a kind of different, just different life experience to them? If that makes, there was a lot of kind of, <laughs> that was a kind of a long-winded question. Um, but yeah, just if you have any, any kind of tips. I think, again, like parents have to um, kind of, they have to take the steps to educate themselves yeah. on, um, you know, what strategies would be best for them if they mm -hmm. have a child with special needs. Sometimes there are strategies that are specific to that, mm -hmm. right? So if yeah. they can reach out to organizations or even sometimes, again, those organizations have, have long waiting lists, I know, especially in the yeah. city where I'm from. Yeah. Um, so even if they can reach out to other organizations, even sometimes the intake people kind of at the front desk are able to give them worksheets um, to be able to help them mm -hmm. and help their child to cope. Yeah. Um, and to reach out and create a community of parents. Like, I'm, I'm so impressed when I see, like, the organization of people on Facebook and all these WhatsApp groups. Yeah. Get connected. Yeah. Get connected, like, with people who have similar experiences to learn how, how to best manage yeah. you know, in those situations. Yeah. And there's a lot of counselors and... Um, and just and like you say that building that network, there's a lot of counselors and parents who are in a similar situation. Also, just on social media and just sharing their tips and their supports and and workshopping amongst each other, right? And and within that community. So, uh, yeah, I'm really glad that that's kind of the age we're living in, where um, there yeah, is increased sure. right increased support. It's amazing, and it's it's validating too, right? Yeah. Other than learning strategies and resources and events that are going on. Yeah. Um. It's just it's just so it feels good to know that you're not the only one struggling, even when right. you're working on your own ability to ma manage to balance. Right. Um. To Right, right to have that validation that yeah I'm not the only one going yeah going through this you yeah know? yeah 100% um and before I get into my last three questions which are not really about this book can can you recommend any resources that would be helpful for listeners to um kind of use to support them in any way mm -hmm. so outside of this book I also wanted to, to let, you know, listeners know that this book is not, don't feel like, okay, my, my child doesn't ex, like experience anxiety, so mm -hmm. I don't think it would be helpful. Mm -hmm. This book teaches strategies that, you know, I use with, with children and, and adults and teens, pre-adolescents, mm -hmm. um, who are struggling with any type of emotion management. Mm -hmm. So whether that has to do with sadness or that has to do with um, anxiety or it has to do with anger or just general ups and downs, or even just like communicating effectively, mm -hmm. these strategies are often like the first basic skills that we teach individuals to use across all those situations. So more than anything, this book is also about healthy coping. Right. Right. So right. if you feel, and I think that's a universal skill for everybody to learn, right, in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This will be helpful for any parent to have, um, any caregiver to have in their home and 
for, you know, Islamic schools to have at their organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's applicable to anybody trying to learn how to manage emotions better. Yeah. Um, other organizations or other, other resources that parents can check out mm-hmm. um, is there's one website called worrywisekids.org. Okay. Worry so wise. W O R R Y. Yeah. Wise W I S E Kids Ideas dot okay. org. Yeah. Um, that's one okay. that gives you some tips and strategies there, mm-hmm. helps you to build your understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, there's childmind.org. So if you type in childmind.org, say in Google, mm-hmm. along with the word anxiety, mm-hmm. that'll pull up um, a web page for you. Okay. Um, where you could take it some some uh, some resources and they'll have worksheets there. Mm-hmm. And then another one is anxietycanada.com. Okay. And again, that's um, that's a website that gives you tips and strategies. Um, and there's one video that I, I like that I used to actually play for kids in um, in when I did play therapy with them. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of like this rap cartoon. <laughs> um, and it talked about a little boy who again had anxiety in in school yeah in the playground so if you go on youtube and you uh search anxiety for kids mm-hmm. um the video will pull up it's called managing worry and anxiety for kids by vocabulary <laughs> so literally that's the title of the video okay managing worry and anxiety for kids yeah vocabulary yeah and it's so good oh my god it's so good i'll I link that it. in the show notes for um parents yeah 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 oh, yeah. oh my god thank you so you can look at that play yeah. that for your child and yeah. hopefully you know that's another opportunity for a conversation piece yeah. Yeah. but um yeah i yeah. hope that um you know that you you've enjoyed the book it sounds like i, I appreciate that and i appreciate yeah. you having me on the podcast for me to talk about this and i think the overall message that I want to share for parents is that this book is intended as something that's sustainable. So that means it's not a one-time read mm-hmm. and intended as like a quick fix. Yeah. It's a lesson that no matter which emotion you're struggling with, yeah, um, there are concrete strategies that you can use that are taught in this book. Right. But it's also kind of two birds with one stone kind of thing where it's also for parents because it has do's and don'ts, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that parents are... They're not, they're not coming from, obviously, a psychology and clinical background for everybody, right? Yeah. So it gives them parent, parenting tips that I would use if parents were consulting with me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to know exactly, you know, how much should I be encouraging my child? How much should I be pushing them? When should I, you know, not accept no for an answer? And when should I, right? Yeah. It's hard to gauge. Yeah. So I talk about that in the back of the book. And yeah. there's also, of course, the the question piece to make this book a conversation piece, piece. And it teaches children to, you know, be patient with themselves. And it will take time. And it also teaches parents that. Because, um, you know, even as adults, when we're trying to change our behaviors, it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it takes months and it, sometimes it takes, you know, years yeah. for us to change a habit that we've practiced for so long. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for having me on, for me to be able to have this opportunity to bring this resource to parents. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I have learned so much. And I was just thinking, even, 
in terms of having the the appropriate vernacular like you've been so helpful with that just uh, like embodying and exemplifying what kind of words we can use our vocabulary how we can speak the tone like even that's been so helpful um just through hearing you speak right so i'm so appreciative of that and of course for this book like <laughs> I honest to God, like, I feel like I just want to pass this down to generations and generations. I mean, obviously things will change in the future, inshallah. Um, but, you know, I just think this is such a great toolkit and that's what it is, right? And it's and it's such a holistic toolkit, so well thought out. And um, like, I'm just continually impressed every time I look at it. And um, yeah, I just think it's one that kids and parents can continually return back to and and like you said you've provided um so many learning opportunities as well that um you've normalized the things that aren't so normalized and that in itself is also just um I thank you and I applaud you honestly and I I really really hope Allah rewards your efforts in this life and in the hereafter because this this hits man this is what our community needs it really is it's amazing I mean, Ya Rab, Allah never fails to fulfill his promise. Yeah. I depend on Allah for his reward. And I'm yeah. happy that, you know, I'm able to put something out there that parents have been looking for most of all, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that children can relate to. I, it's funny, sometimes I'm, I'm impressed by the feedback that I receive from um, parents and children when I hear children are like reading it to their friends when they come over and <laughs> they're wanting to read it every night. I'm like, wow, they really, they really seem to like the story of Talal. So yeah. it's available on Amazon for amazon.com and .ca for anyone who's interested. Perfect. And um, you guys can also follow me on uh, on Instagram yeah. at Talal's Whispering Warrior. Yeah. That's with T-A-L-A-A-L, Talal's yeah. Whispering Warrior. Yeah. Um, and I just want to also mention that I give a free additional consultation letter to parents who purchase it through Amazon and who want to uh, do the transaction through Instagram uh, DM. Perfect. I also have that available if you don't have an Amazon account. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and it, it gives them some additional tips. Yeah. Um, to kind of make the book work for them perfect and i know i have uh international followers as well and listeners so if they're outside of north america can they also buy this book is it available yeah i do yeah. Um, i do international shipping yeah um through in sorry through instagram and through the amazon okay um so through inst sorry, through instagram i do the paypal mm -hmm. um i also do transfer wise and email email money transfer for people who have that ability mm -hmm. um but yeah it is it is uh international yeah perfect. i do have some sell sellers around the world i have in india mm -hmm. um i have in singapore and in indonesia and in britain um, in Australia, I have them in the U.S. and in in Canada, of course. So if you yeah. if you want to know if it's selling in your country a little bit more locally, yeah, you can um, follow me on Instagram and it'll list the stores there. Okay, perfect. That's super helpful to know. And um, just before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you three questions that I ask all my guests. Um, so the first one is, what's your favorite thing about Islam? My favorite thing about Islam is the guy, the guidance. Yeah. I think that Islam is a very practical religion. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I can understand from a young age why I would always hear, oh, like, Islam is a way of life. Right. <laughs> it does, like, literally penetrate so many oh my different God. aspects yeah. of our life. Yeah. So, I mean, even, say, if you don't believe in, like, the dogma and the deity of it, like, it has so much practical guidance. And that's yeah. one thing that I really appreciate about Islam is the practicality of it, that it penetrates yeah. so many different parts of my life. And because of it, I sincerely believe that I have so much more inner peace. Like I started practicing my religion, um, at like in my teenage years, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in a home that was like really heavy with the Islamic practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that with immigration, my parents like lost a little bit of a, like religious practice without the community around them. Yeah, fair enough. But so I started practicing it personally more in my late teenage years, like as I was entering university, like a lot of people with MSA, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like That's a Muslim like, students association. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I, I really appreciate the practicality and I think I have a lot more inner peace in my life with it. Yeah. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that answer. Um, and then the second question is if you could give your younger Muslim self any piece of advice, what would it be? I think it would be that, you know, Allah has created us beautifully and with with the capacity for so much potential that a lot of us are, are equal in that regard. Mm-hmm. Even if you have different capabilities, we have, um, we have uh, a lot of potential in us in different respects, right? Right. So I think if I knew that, I myself would have been a lot more confident and would have a, a lot stronger um, self-esteem knowing that look at Allah, he created the universe mm-hmm. and then he created, you know, he created human beings too. We have so much potential right. in us inherently. Right. right. Um, so you shouldn't feel like you're not good enough. Yeah. You you can be anything that you, you want to be, right? Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Amazing. And um, final question, who slash what would you like to put our head, heart and hands in prayer for? Because I believe that prayer, you know, as much as it is of the tongue, um, it is also about putting prayer to action practice as well, if we can, um, and doing so as a community. So, yeah, is there any person, community, um, yeah, anything that you would like us to do that for? I think, you know, it's funny that you say that because I think that's exactly the thing that I would want to make dua for is our ability for us that are more privileged mm-hmm. to take more action. Yeah. So for us to stop stop simply just just praying right. and making dua, but to like take some action in our hands, stop, <laughs> stop liking and sharing things on Facebook and actually try and write a letter to your local government, yeah. go to protest, do some kind of organization, yeah. donate to causes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. like, do so you can start some kind of initiative. So for us to, to make dua that, you know, we we start taking more action and, and you know, putting our money where our mouth is yeah, and, yeah. and uh, start organizing for the, the Muslims who are oppressed because yeah. it's happening all over the world in yeah. one way or another. Yeah, and I think social media can really... Um, it can be a form of activism and it mm-hmm. has impact, but... At the same time, I think it can kind of, yeah, and it and it can, you know, once you've crossed that, um, once you've kind of increased your awareness, I feel mm-hmm. that social media can sometimes make us complacent and just think, okay, well, I did my part. 
and that's yeah. it. And so um, I guess when I say stop sharing, I mean just stop leaving it at that, right? Of course, yeah. So just don't leave yeah. it at that. Yeah, like, exactly. Let's, let's do something and take some kind of action. Like, yeah. We need to show up at our local government officials, like yeah. in the offices, and we need to write yeah. letters, like organize campaigns and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and everyone's capacity is yeah. different, but that doesn't mean you don't have any capacity, right? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was just saying everyone's capacity is different, but that doesn't mean that you don't have any capacity, right? Like right. there are still things that you can do. Um, if you're somebody that likes being on the phone, you know, make that call and 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 protest sanctions, for example. Um, or, yeah, make those calls to your MPs to change certain policies that are being pushed forth. And, and really um, for, for many of us especially like you're saying if we're in privileged positions and we live in democratic society we need to use our voice and and really hold on to our rights to use those voices and to to push for better and to push for change yeah i think the muslim the muslim community has such huge numbers yeah um but um i think that there's there's room for us to to organize right and show our numbers in different ways yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's a pretty interesting note to leave it on. <laughs> um, but thank you. Yeah, I think that's it's a really beautiful um, one to do as well. And, and change begins within as well. So action towards yourself as well is important. And for yourself, um, only then can you appreciate what that, uh, what doing so can do for others. Um, so yeah, once again, thank you. Time's a infinity and beyond for just like sitting down and chatting with me and and discussing this and um um yeah i i think what you've created is an amazing resource for our community and really needed and yeah i'm really grateful thank you thank you no for for having rogue muslim and (laughs) giving me the opportunity and bringing the information to people like whether it's about this or um it's you know the different topics that you're speaking on they're they're so important and you know thank you for breaking out of the mole and offering you know so different opportunities for knowledge and learnings oh, jazakallah that means a lot thank you so much um all right so until next week i hope everyone that's listening enjoyed this episode and um you know just learned a lot and i highly highly recommend purchasing this book um it's definitely not a one-time read it's something that you can return to um throughout the years so it's a great investment and um definitely follow uh, shariza on instagram and i'll link everything uh, down below all the resources resources Oh my God, I can't speak. Resources that she mentioned. Those will all be linked below. And until next time, I hope everyone is safe. And um, yeah, inshallah, just doing the best you can and um, seeing this as an opportunity to also um, reflect a lot and reimagine what um, relationships and community dynamics can look like in this time when things aren't so normal. Um, and so yeah, take care everyone and wassalam.